Westland Road, Motor City, Cheyenne, and experience the holiday difference, the beginning of hassle-free driving. Um, hello, it's me, the designer jeans in your closet, the back of your closet. What am I doing here? Would you keep caviar in the back of your fridge with the ketchup and old milk? Yeah, I don't think so. So what happened to us? I mean, have you seen my label? I used to summer in the Hamptons and now I'm stuck behind a pair of sweats. Sure, I never really fit you quite right and one of my pockets is so small you can't even squeeze your hand into it, but it's all about the look. And I look good. I need to get back out on the scene so I can be seen. You know, going to fancy parties, getting expensive iced coffees, Sunday fun days, okay? So take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create new jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Craig Morgan. You might know me for my songs. But before I sang country music, I served in the United States Army, where I stood side by side with some of the most resilient people I've ever met. They taught me that one small act can make a big difference during tough times. If you're a veteran or service member in crisis or having thoughts of suicide, the Veterans Crisis Line can help. One conversation can save a life. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 or visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. M650, KJB, Nick the Motor Guy, back here on Car Guy. We've been talking a little bit about Jeeps and Willis Jeeps. And one of the calls we had earlier was from a gentleman who had just rescued a 1949 uh, Jeep wagon um, from a barn. But he had a very interesting engine in there, um, which was an engine produced by Jeep in, in, in a later time in 1962. And it was very advanced for its time. And it was known as the Tornado engine. Um, it was an overhead cam engine, meaning that the camshaft was at the top engine operating the valves rather than flat heads or overhead valves. Much, much more efficient design. Completely misunderstood by both the public and the mechanics of the day. And it was very unsuccessful. And in fact, disappeared within three years from the, uh, from the vehicles themselves going back to the overhead valve engine, which ended up being used for many, 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 many years, all the way up into the 2000s. The Tornado engine continued to be used in military vehicles. Um, and that's, I must admit, until I was starting to do some reading on it, I thought that was the end of it. But no, it wasn't. After the military stopped using this, production of the Tornado engine continued in Argentina by the, the Argentinian wing of Kaiser. Um, that engine was then used in a bunch of different Jeep and American Motors vehicles which were assembled under license there. 
the engine then became um, known for powering all those vehicles. And indeed, when the French company Renault bought into that company, um, they can they were that was the only engine that was used in the Renault and AMC vehicles that was not built by the French company. It continued to be developed, and it just shows how good the basic design and how clever the basic design was, even though it was not a success because it didn't get the development it deserved here in the States. But in Argentina, this engine would continue to be developed through the 70s, and in fact was a very successful engine efficiency-wise and even emissions-wise during um, the 70s. To the point that it was then used in even in tremendous international racing um, organizations with great success. Um, in some cases, winning a lot of uh, long distance races using that engine. Um, continued to be known as the Tornado, the Super Tornado. I am developed all the way up through 1982, at which point it produced in some cases as much as 300 horsepower very reliably so it showed that the basic design was great it was just very typical of engines here in the u.s at the time that if it was a bit different and it wasn't traditional as seen by the american public and indeed the american aftermarket automotive industry it was kind of ignored that happened with this engine. It happened with several engines that went on to be used in other countries tremendously successfully. The Buick and Olds um, eight-cylinder, 215-cubic-inch engine, which became the Rover and Range Rover engine all the way up through 2004. That was an engine that came out in the early 60s. It was a brilliant design from GM. All aluminum, extremely light, very compact, very efficient, um, and but completely ignored by the automotive industry here. And GM sort of tucked its tail between its legs and sold it off to the Brits. The Brits then continued to develop it and made it an engine that was then sold to all over the world in all kinds of Land Rovers and Rover vehicles. I. Uh, Again, great design, ignored by the industry here, but went on to great success in other places. And I'm, I know there are many others, but those are two that jumped to mind right away. And I did not know, uh, as I said, until reading about this, the Tornado engine, just what a great success it had had in industry for, for many, many years after it had been uh, considered a complete failure in the mid-60s here. Go take another break and then we'll be back to finish up the show here on AM650 KGAB. Obstructive sleep apnea may sound like snoring, but it can also sound like a car crash. Those suffering from sleep apnea are seven times more likely to be involved in or cause a fatal car accident. 20 times more likely to suffer from high blood pressure. Eight times more likely to suffer a stroke. And 10 times more likely to suffer a heart attack in their sleep. While it may only sound like snoring, sleep apnea is a serious and even life-threatening condition. But it can be successfully treated. 
Consult with an oral and facial surgeon as part of a sleep medicine team to find out if your snoring is more than just snoring. Oral and facial surgeons are the experts in face, mouth, and jaw surgery. Learn more about obstructive sleep apnea at myoms.org. Hannah complained of a headache. It was a rhabdomyosarcoma. Within a few days, Hannah was in treatment because we were told that the tumor was very aggressive. And it very quickly became clear that St. Jude was the ultimate place to be. So we've essentially put our lives in South Africa on hold. Incredibly blessed to be here. St. Jude is an asset to the world. The research that is developed here is offered freely to the rest of the medical world. The entire way that the place operates is just to give and to care. I think it's the kind of place that not only stands as a beacon for pediatric cancer, but I think it could teach the world a couple of lessons about how to treat people. And I think if those lessons could be learned, even in their most basic form, this world could be a better place. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. AM650 KGAB, Nick the Motor Guy, back here on CarGab. We've got only a couple of minutes left of today's show. Want to remind everybody, please come out tonight if you're not going up to one of those, you know, shows up at the park. Uh, there's some famous guy up there tonight. Can't remember who, but I know my wife's excited about it. Um, anyway, if you are not uh, going to be going up there, well, Cruise Nights is going on in downtown. And in case any of you have forgotten why we do Cruise Nights, is because we love cars and bikes and the people that are into them. And you don't need to have a classic car or a classic motorcycle. Bring, bring whatever you'd like down. Come and meet people. Come and enjoy Cheyenne out in the open. Come down and support one of our local restaurants. That was what uh, got Doug and I talking about this and got this whole thing started uh, back in April of uh, 2020. Come down and support the charities. Tonight is going to be the Old West Museum. Very, very appropriate considering with considering CFD in town. This is a very busy time for the Old West Museum. But however, the rest of the year, just like every museum, it is a tremendous challenge to have the money to keep everything fresh. Celebrate the legacy, as the lovely lady who called in earlier said. It, it's it's building this wonder or has this wonderful legacy of so many grant families and so many um people who made this town great um if you are in downtown today head down to the plaza there's still plenty of um pop-up stores down there 
go to the Depot Museum. If you've not been to the Depot Museum, if you're listening to me and you're from out of town, go to the Cheyenne Depot Museum. It is a wonderful museum. It's got a great store. Go and, go and see it. All, a lot of local content. And a lot of people don't realize when they come to Cheyenne Frontier Days, that actually that wonderful depot building and the railroad is the major reason that Cheyenne exists in the first place. Anyway, have a safe, safe, safe night tonight. Safe weekend, safe Frontier Day. Please be aware of what's going on because um, some of the driving has been dubious to say the least. So everybody, be safe. Get a ride if you need it. And we'll speak to you next week on Car Gap. Bye-bye. Senate on Roads and Bridges. I'm Pam Puso, Fox News. The Senate is in session in the hopes of advancing a bipartisan infrastructure bill. Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer says he's also thinking about a much larger package that does not have Republican support. I have said for weeks that the Senate is going to move forward on both tracks of infrastructure before the beginning of the August recess. The longer it takes to finish, the longer we'll be here. But we're going to get the job done. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said she won't move on the bipartisan bill until the human infrastructure bill is passed. Also on the Senate floor, an appeal to help the millions of families facing eviction related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Democrat Elizabeth Warren says a freeze on evictions that expires tonight is not a long-term solution, but it is the right short-term solution. Anticipation in Florida as Carnival Cruise Line prepares for a maiden voyage. It is a big day here at Port Canaveral for one. Carnival is preparing to set sail on the Mardi Gras, its largest ship ever, and it will do so with the first batch of paying customers to leave from Port Canaveral since the pandemic hit in March of 2020. And it is really nice inside the Mardi Gras. They've got food, drinks, pools. There's even a roller coaster on top of before any of the estimated 4,000 passengers can enjoy any of that. They'll be screened for COVID. Fox's Charles Watson. Six passengers on a Royal Caribbean cruise have tested positive for the coronavirus. The seven-night cruise departed Sunday from the Bahamas. Two of the people testing positive are children who have not yet been vaccinated. The six people are not connected. America's listening to Fox News. inviting you to download and listen to the new daily Fox on Tech podcast. There's part of a colorful late 90s iMac on Mars. It's an idea that seems a lot like Kickstarter called Build It. This isn't the first time we've heard about North Korea hackers trying to get a leg up on COVID-19, a range that was used for satellite TV service in the 70s. Get the latest trends in technology, cybersecurity alerts, and gadget news daily. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Connect to Fox News Audio on the Fox News app. Listen to hear your favorite hosts like Brian Kilmeade, Jimmy Fallon, and Guy Benson standing up for what's right live and via podcast. Just click listen, then swipe right and hear the latest news updates on your time. And scroll down to hear the latest podcasts from Fox News. And it's even easier to listen in the car with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Get programming alerts and notifications. Fox News Audio is on the Fox News app. The Voices America Trusts. Downloaded now. As cases of COVID-19 surge again in the U.S., some companies are rethinking a return to the office in September. This week, Silicon Valley giants and some of the world's biggest companies delayed their return to the office, with most now requiring workers that come back to get vaccinated beforehand. Apple, Alphabet, Uber delaying the return by a month. You have a lift indeed and Roblox delaying until next year, 2022. Fox's Susan Lee. A third weekend of protest in France against a COVID-19 health pass that allows people to go to restaurants, movie theaters, swimming pools, and other places. During the demonstration in Paris, three police officers were reportedly hurt. France is battling a fourth wave of virus infections. Watching the Summer Olympics led to the arrest of a man in Hong Kong. Some Americans may take a knee during the playing of the Star-Spangled Banner at home or abroad, but don't even think of booing the Chinese national anthem in Hong Kong. Police there arrested a man caught doing just that Friday at a shopping mall while watching an Olympic medal ceremony. The 40-year-old was waving colonial-era Hong Kong flags, another no-no, while urging others to join him in insulting the national anthem. He could be fined over $6,000 and spend up to nine years in jail. China's central government criminalizes acts that insult the national flag and emblem. Hong Kong, the former British colony, was the scene of violent anti-government protests two years ago, which led to a crackdown by Beijing. Karen McHugh, Fox News. Another baby is on the way for the wife of British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. On Instagram, Carrie Johnson said she was incredibly blessed to be pregnant again after suffering a miscarriage earlier this year. The couple's first child, Wilfred, was born in April of last year. And this is Fox News. Your day weather forecast is brought to you by Four Corner Siding. No matter the weather, Four Corner Siding can help protect your home. Could be a wet and soggy Saturday for southeastern Wyoming. Once again, scattered thunderstorms, heavier rains possible, especially over the foothills and mountain areas. Highs middle and upper 70s today, lows tonight in the mid-50s. Upper 70s with some low 80s on your Sunday. Sunshine during the day with an isolated thunderstorm late afternoon, then clearing Sunday night, lows low to mid-50s. I'm day weather meteorologist Don Watzel. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're listening to the Weekend in Wyoming program. On the phone, I have Cheyenne Regional Medical Center CEO Tim Thornell. Thank you for calling in, Mr. Thornell. Hey, thanks for having me. 
Well, a couple of things I wanted to hit this morning. First of all, I was curious if you see an increase in visits to your emergency room during Cheyenne Frontier Days. Do you guys get slammed or not? Yeah, you know, traditionally we um, don't see a huge uptick in ER visits uh, just because of, of Frontier Days. Um, it feels like it at times, but don't necessarily reflect it in the actual numbers. This year, however, um, we are seeing an increase as you look at the month of July. So it'll include Frontier Days as well as, you know, the, the previous weeks uh, in July. We're up about 450 ER visits, so uh, over prior year. That sounds like a lot. Is is that as big a number as it sounds like? Yeah, so it is pretty pretty noticeable. So again, for not just Frontier Days, but for whatever other reasons in July, we've, we've seen uh, quite a few more ER-related visits than last year. Do we have any idea what's driving that? Uh, no, not at this point. We'll we'll do a look back once the month's over, but um, yeah, not a good, not any good indications for you right now as to what's driving that. Tim, what are what are the most typical causes for people to go to the emergency room? Is it mostly bumps and bruises? Is it more serious injuries? Is it a little bit of, of everything? What is it typically? Yeah, for the ER, it's, you know, typically a little bit of everything. Although I will say, um, you know, for the last year, year and a half with COVID, people have been a little more discretionary about going to the ER, so they're less likely to come in for the minor things now and more likely to probably use urgent care or their primary care doctor, which is appropriate. Um, so really what we do see a lot more is, is severe related cases, whether it's um, you know larger related injuries or just an illness that really merits um, coming to the hospital and being seen. Now, I would sort of guess that maybe you're busy on weekends and maybe busiest on Friday and Saturday nights. Would that be a fair statement or not? It is, yes. Things do pick up a little bit um, as the weekend rolls around and towards the evenings. Again, some of that just coincides with, um, you know, doctor's offices, you know, not being open and, and other access to health care being a little bit less during the evening hours and the weekends. Okay, on the phone I have Cheyenne Regional Medical Center CEO Tim Thornell. By the way, we are taking calls if you have any questions or comments, 632-3323. Tim, big national news this week. The the CDC, I guess, uh, encouraging people to wear masks indoors um, in areas with a high transmission rate. First of all, are we an area with a high transmission rate? Uh, yes. So I was just looking at the CDC website and anybody can go on to it, you know, www.cdc.gov and uh, click on uh, COVID-19 and find the data. Um, so when I just looked at the map this morning, it did have us in a high transmission area. Uh, most of Wyoming, not all, but most of Wyoming is and certainly Laramie County is. How are we doing locally in terms of hospital admissions for, for covid Yeah, as we track it over the last um, couple of things I'll look at, the last six weeks, um, we have seen, you know, quite an uptick in COVID hospitalization. Um, the last two or three days, it's actually gone down some. So today, for example, we sit at 11 patients in the hospital with COVID. But all you have to do is go back, you know, three or four days, and uh, we're at our, our six-week average, which is more like 24, 25 patients with COVID um, in the hospital. Um, and probably about um, eight to nine of those are, are on a, in our ICU and on a ventilator. Um, today, we just have one person on a ventilator. So, again, the last two or three days, the numbers have gone down, but last six weeks, we've had um, quite a few patients in the hospital. And to put that in perspective, that's anywhere from 25 to almost 30% of our patients in the hospital these last six weeks have been COVID-related. So, Tim, people tend to assume this is kind of over with. It doesn't sound like it's over with. 
No, certainly not. And from the hospital's perspective, it's not over with. We're still seeing, again, a, quite a bit of transmission. So I think our local community sits at around a 33, uh, 34% vaccination rate. Uh, we'd certainly like to see that a lot higher. Uh, within the hospital ourselves, we're um, just slightly north of 60% of our staff vaccinated, vaccinated. We'd like to see that a little bit higher as well. Um, so the more we have people vaccinated, the more likely we'll um, you know, decrease the transmission and therefore decrease hospitalizations along with it. However, you can still get the virus if you've been vaccinated. Am I right or not right? It is possible, yes. Yeah. So, that, you know, you can have breakthrough um, from uh, from uh, from COVID. So it is possible to get the vaccine or to get the COVID if you've had the vaccine. Uh, and we've known this from the very beginning when uh, they, they put out the vaccines that, you know, publishing anywhere from uh, mid-80s to mid-90 percent efficacy rates. So suggesting you know, anywhere from 5 to 15% possibility of still uh, contracting the virus, even though you've been vaccinated. And we look at our own data here. So you look at, in Cheyenne um, at our data at our hospital, and you look at, um, you know, our most recent 100 patients who have been admitted to our hospital for COVID. And we're in that same ballpark. Uh, we looked at it earlier this month, and 83% of our COVID admissions were unvaccinated. And if you do get vaccinated, or if you are vaccinated and you do get the virus, you tend to not get as severe a case. Am I right? That is what we are seeing. So, again, I can kind of share anecdotally, you know, right here in our hometown, um, for those patients who are admitted for COVID, if you've not had the vaccine, you're likely to be in the hospital for more than eight days, um, and some of them here for 20, 30 days. And if you've had the vaccine, you're likely to stay in the hospital only three or four days. Um, so it's really what we're finding is a 226% increase in your length of stay in the hospital if you're not vaccinated. Tim, 34% seems kind of low. How's that compare with the rest of the country? Yeah, the rest of the country is uh, getting closer to 50%. So we are a little bit uh, behind uh, the rest of the country when we look at state-by-state state, uh, vaccination rates. I know when I go on social media, frankly, I see a lot of a lot of bad information about the, the vaccine. Um, is, is that a problem? Is that stopping people from getting vaccinated? Yeah, I certainly think that is, is absolutely one of the factors uh, in there. There's just a lot of misinformation about about the vaccine, um, about COVID in general, uh, and that's certainly having an influence on on some people. So, you know, what I always ask of, of people is, look, you certainly can make a choice whether the vaccine is right for you or not as an individual, and certainly I encourage it, um, but, you know, your, your choice um, but, you know, just please make that choice based off of, you know, the facts. Uh, and again, there's a lot of myths running around out there, um, you know, just by way of example. Uh, you know, some have read, heard, seen people talk about, uh, you know, my arm is now magnetic because I got the vaccine. <laughs> okay. Completely untrue. There's no truth to it. But, you know, some people see that, read that, and therefore believe it. Um, so, again, if you're making the decision based off of the facts as we know it, um, you know, I think you'll make a good decision for yourself. It's just, again, when those myths come into play and you uh, give them too much credit uh, where, you know, people aren't necessarily making the wisest of decisions. I know I did get the shot. I got the, the Pfizer vaccine, which is two shots. And, and I did get a little bit of a reaction to it. I didn't feel great the first time. The second time maybe particularly didn't feel great. Maybe had a sore arm, but it was, it was nothing of the magnitude of getting the virus itself. 
Yes. Yeah. And, and, and the symptoms for actually getting the virus vary a lot, too. Certainly people have been COVID positive and have pretty darn mild symptoms. Um, and obviously, a lot of people do get really sick from it, need hospitalization. And, um, you know, we've had over 700 deaths in Wyoming alone from from COVID. So, you know, that's how bad it can be. Um, so definitely, I think the option of getting the vaccine is, is a better alternative than uh, experiencing those potential of, of experiencing those severe uh, symptoms and impact and certainly then death. Tim, if somebody's say in their 80s and they've been vaccinated, do they need to avoid crowds at this point or not? Is that so, a tough question? You know, as, I look at, as I look at and read the, the CDC guidelines, I would suggest, you know, if, you, if you're 80, you've been vaccinated, um, you don't necessarily need to avoid crowds. Again, we're in a, a higher transmission area at this point in time. So I would recommend you know, the CDC guidelines, which is wear a mask, even if you're vaccinated, if you're in you know highly crowded places, particularly indoors. You know, outdoors does provide some benefit with just more air circulation. Um, so again, if you're indoors um, in a highly crowded area and in a place like we are, where our, our transmission rate's still a little bit higher, I would follow the CDC guidelines and wear a mask, even if you're vaccinated. Do you still have a mask mandate at the hospital? I haven't been over there for a while, so. We do, yeah. So we have not lifted it at the hospital. So all of our staff uh, required to wear a mask, whether you're vaccinated or not. Um, patient, uh, visitors are required to wear it as well. Um, so yes, we, we still follow those guidelines at the hospital. Tim, should people take it upon themselves to wear a mask when they go out in public at this point or not? Uh, you know, again, I, I think if you're, certainly if you're, if you're not vaccinated, I would highly recommend uh, wearing a mask, especially in, you know, public areas where there's any crowds, indoors or outdoors. Um, right now, if, if you're in crowded um, indoor public space, I would recommend people uh, wear a mask, even if you're vaccinated. I think that's just a prudent, good precaution to take. One more COVID question, and then we'll move on to some other topics. But we've heard a lot about the Delta variant. Are we seeing a lot of that in Wyoming? Uh, we are. So the Delta variant is becoming uh, the more prevalent strain that we're seeing um, throughout the U.S. And, and we're, you know, experiencing that here locally in Wyoming and in Laramie County as well. Um, we don't test for it at the hospital. Public health tests for it. So I don't have the latest numbers on that. Um, but every week I look at it, the Delta variant um, strain becomes more and more prevalent amongst those who are COVID positive. Is the Delta variant more dangerous? Uh, you know, I would I would suggest that it is. The, the information I've read really suggests a couple of things. One, the Delta variant is more um, like more transmissible, meaning it's about 258 times more transmissible than um, the original uh, COVID-19, and so you know, therefore, it's more likely to to, to get it. Uh, we are seeing symptoms from that uh, appear a little bit faster. It used to be um, early on, we'd say maybe two weeks. You know, after exposure is really when you start feeling the impact of COVID. And now that's probably closer to a week with with um, the Delta variant. So there are some noticeable differences that aren't positive with the uh, Delta variant. Okay, I'm speaking with Cheyenne Regional Medical Center CEO Tim Thornell. Uh, Tim, getting away from uh, COVID per se, but more its its impact. Uh, How has this impacted the hospital long term? Has it put you in a financial bind? Has it mattered? Uh, wh what's the impact there been? Yeah, certainly early on, you know, you look back to uh, last year, March, April, May, June, um, it certainly had a significant impact on our hospitals as it did with just about every hospital throughout the country. Um, a financial impact as our volumes went down, we had a period of time where we didn't do uh, many or any elective surgeries. We've since 
you know, got back to a more normal state with that. Uh, it changed just the patterns in which, the way in which people access healthcare a little bit. That's really did for a period of time. Again, we're back to a more um, normal, if you will, way of accessing healthcare and seeing your doctor face to face, but there's still a decent amount of telehealth visits going on. And for many instances, I think that's appropriate. Um, so it has changed how we deliver healthcare a little bit as as well. So the impact is still still lingering, and um, it's still um, you know part of what we're having to deal with. Now, if I have my history correct, this is the first pandemic of this magnitude since the Spanish flu right after World War One. That was a hundred years ago. Did we learn anything in general about healthcare or pandemics from the COVID pandemic? Yeah, I think you know there's always lessons to be learned. Um, you know, some of them are, um, you know, we, we as a society now, I think, are dependent upon, um, you know, just a few places for our supply chain. So I think we saw early on, you know, we didn't have enough um, PPE, I think an acronym we're all familiar with now, if we weren't before, uh, personal protective equipment. And, you know, there for a short while became a shortage of masks and, and um, gloves and a few other things. Part of it is just the demand spiked so much. It's not that we didn't have enough for normal everyday use, but when our usage demand just uh, significantly increased, we weren't necessarily prepared for that and found that in many instances, our supply chain was dependent upon, um, you know, fewer people manufacturing than we expected, expected, and some of them from, not all from the U.S. So um, I think one lesson we can learn is, you know, can we manufacture a little bit more locally, a little bit more in the United States and be less dependent upon some other um, areas outside of, of the United States for some of these supplies. How about telemedicine? Will we see an increase, a permanent increase in the use of telemedicine resulting from the pandemic? Yeah, I'd like to think that we will see an ongoing increase in the use of telemedicine. Um, you know, telemedicine has been in use for quite some time now and, and quite successfully, and that um, increase has been steadily uh, improving as time has gone on, and certainly COVID. Uh, 19 provided a, um, a mechanism for that to really just take off and become highly prevalent for a short period of time. We've seen it taper back down a little bit just as people do um, get a lot from the face-to-face -face visits with their providers and there is benefit to that in a lot of instances. But we also found there's many circumstances in which a televisit works really just as well um, and maybe in a few instances even better um, than a face-to-face -face visit just from the convenience factor alone. So I do think we're, we're going to see more telemedicine um, stick with us, you know, more than we've had before COVID. And I think that will just continue to increase again as technology improves, too. It becomes easier to deliver in that mechanism. As we come out of the pandemic and, and get more and more back into, quote, you know, regular life or whatever you want to call it, normal life, um, what's going on at the hospital these days? Do you have anything interesting going on? Yeah. So, yes, yeah, certainly outside of the COVID world, life still goes on in all other realms in the hospital. So, um, you know, we're excited that we get to um, uh, renovate our mother baby unit. And we actually plan on doing this starting last year and actually had hoped to have it done by, by this time this year. Uh, but again, COVID put that on delay, didn't stop it from happening, just delayed it. So that's back on track and uh, the renovations for that are starting now. So really in about nine, 10 months, uh, we should have a brand new uh, mother baby unit available to the community. Uh, and we deliver, you know, on average over uh, 100, uh, 100 babies a month. So I think the community will really appreciate that brand new unit that we'll have. And then as soon as that's completed, uh, so in about 12 months from now, we'll start renovation on a, on a new uh, intensive care unit, a new ICU. And certainly today, 
Uh, we've all seen the added importance of a, of a um, highly functioning ICU. That's where our, our really sick COVID patients are who are ventilated there. So we'll be expanding that, adding some more beds there and adding some more isolation rooms um, to our ICU. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I may because I'm going from memory here, but as I recall, uh, I think this was the ICU, maybe it was just the COVID ICU, had, had uh, 25 beds available. Am I right on that? Uh, we are licensed for 15, but during COVID, we got an additional 10 license for uh, for our ICU for emergency use. So our, um, our you know our, our regular license is for 15, uh, but we will be increasing that to, I think, 18 or 19. Um, but we have an emergency ability to up to 25 right now. In non-COVID times, what would the typical occupancy rate for the ICU be? Yeah, so out of the 15 beds, you know, probably close to... Uh, 10 to 12 beds would be occupied in the ICU. Um, and then again, during these last six weeks where we've seen a certainly an increase in hospitalization, um, our ICU has you know gone beyond its, its um, typical 15 capacity and we have had to use some of our uh, emergency licenses to, um, to accommodate some patients in that time. Do you ever send people to Colorado for intensive care? Uh, on occasion, but uh, we're really able to take care of most everybody here. Uh, in uh, in Cheyenne, so uh, there are a few a few occasions every once in a while where a higher level of care may be merited, uh, and usually they actually they'll head on down to uh, to Denver at that point to a tertiary hospital if they really need that level of care. Okay, I'm speaking with Cheyenne Regional Medical Center CEO Tim Thornell, who was good enough to call in this morning on rather short notice to be a guest on our program, and we're talking about all things CRMC. Tim, I know long-term one of the uh, things that the hospitals tried to do is address some of the parking issues over there. How, how's that going? Yeah, so, um, yeah, we try to make parking a little bit easier for, uh, for our patients, for our visitors. You know, during COVID, we uh, had to discontinue our valet service for a brief period, but we were able to start that back up in, in May uh, of this year. So our valet service is available again, and now you can access it um, in our parking structure. So if you drive into our parking structure there on the first floor, uh, right by the patient visitor entrance to the hospital, uh, there's valet parking there, and they will take very good care of your car, no cost to you whatsoever. Um, leave it in their good hands, and uh, they'll park it, take care of it for you. So. I can really eliminate all of your parking worries. Now, I know another long-term goal at the hospital was addressing some of the billing concerns. How's that gone over time? Yeah, I'd like to think that we have, have gotten better with that and really tried to make that process a little bit uh, smoother. You know, healthcare billing in general for any hospital across the country, you know, poses some challenges um, as there's just so many factors that go into it with insurances and different types of insurances and and um, co-pays and deductibles. So it's always a little bit challenging. Um, and we recognize that. So we've tried to uh, make that process a little bit smoother, a little bit better for patients. One of the new things that we've added um, just this year in April was a new program called MD Save. And this is really targeting patients who don't have insurance and, and face some, some larger bills sometimes. So MD Save the way to um, kind of prepay for services, specific services that you know you're gonna have and uh, can pay for it in advance and the cost is significantly less and it's all bundled together so you don't have to worry about am I going to get a bill from the hospital and a separate one from the doctor it all comes together as one so much easier to understand now my understanding though is you'll never turn somebody away with a life-threatening injury for lack of insurance am I right oh absolutely I mean anyone who presents in our hospital particularly our ER but anywhere in our hospital 
um, for life-threatening injuries, uh, concerns, uh, no one ever gets turned away for that. We will we'll take care of everyone that comes in our doors. Tim, I've been asking you questions for the last 20 minutes. Is there something you'd like to tell our listeners that we haven't covered? Yeah, no, we've got a chance to cover quite a bit of territory, and I really appreciate it. Uh, just, again, kind of reminding people of above and beyond all the COVID activity that's happening, and certainly it's consumed a lot of our, our time and attention, um, and it is wearing on our staff, I have to say. You know, our ICU staff in particular, our staff on our seventh floor, which is otherwise designated as our COVID unit, um, so our non-ventilated COVID patients are typically on our, our seventh floor unit. Um, and it's challenging for them. They see a lot of patients come in there, stay a long time. Um, not all of them make it. We certainly are experiencing more deaths than we would like um, from COVID. And it's really tough on the staff, especially when we have um, you know a vaccine available, which we know can help reduce uh, the amount of deaths that we'll see as a community. Um, so I think just keeping our, our staff and particularly those that are on the front lines in the ER, ICU and seventh floor, um, you know, in your thoughts and prayers as we as we move forward. Um, but also just to say life still goes on. So during all this time, uh, during COVID, we became a, a magnet hospital, which is the highest honor you can get from the nursing world. Um, and we got named for the third year in a row, uh, you know, to um, health grades, top 250 hospitals. And we renewed our certification for being a chest pain center and stroke center. So a lot of good quality things are still going on in our hospital. A lot of hard work still happening from our teams above and beyond um, just what you see from COVID. Tim, we have a couple minutes left, so I'll ask kind of a political question. Of course, the legislature will convene again early next year. Are you are you hoping for any action on Medicaid expansion, or do you care about that? Uh, yes, we would certainly we are certainly proponents of Medicaid expansion. Um, you know, Medicaid expansion hits a target population just slightly above the um, the federal poverty level. And it hits a population that is uh, frequently working um, and yet also doesn't have access to, to medical care. Um, a lot of times they're working mothers, for example, have families. Um, so expanding Medicaid really hits a population that is vulnerable and um, would really truly benefit from, um, from having access to health care uh, through, through the Medicaid insurance. So uh, I think you know, we'd really support that then in the right fashion would be positive for our community and for our state. Have you heard anything about a bill to do that coming forward? Uh, so we took up the last legislative session to move forward with it, and it um, did go a little bit further than it has in the past. So uh, we are optimistic that this coming uh, legislative session, we will see another bill coming forward to uh, support Medicaid expansion. Okay. I'd like to thank my guest on this segment. I've been speaking with Cheyenne Regional Medical Center uh, CEO Tim Thornell, who was good enough to call the show on short notice. Tim, we do appreciate your time this morning. Great. Thank you so much for having, having me, and uh, happy Frontier Days to everyone as well. Talk to you later. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station, CRMC CEO Tim Thornell calling in. The other side of the bottom of the hour information break, we're going to talk about the Cheyenne Virtual School Program in Laramie County School District 1. This is a new program uh, that uh, you may not be familiar with. We've got the, uh, I believe, the principal, if I'm not mistaken, of the virtual school will be calling in. Uh, we'll be discussing that. Coming up at 12.05, we have Laramie County Sheriff's candidate Patrick Long. Of course, uh, Patrick Long's already declared for sheriff. Don Hollingshead is declared. 
Uh, a couple of other gentlemen have declared everybody pretty much thinks that former police chief Brian Kozak will be running. In fact, I did see a, a, a comment from former chief Kozak on Facebook indicating that he's planning on running. He hasn't formally announced that, but uh, where I'm going with this, it's, it's really not too early. People are jumping into this race already, so we'll be talking about that. And then at 1233, uh, we'll talk with the Laramie County 4-H program about what they have going on. That's all just ahead right here on the Weekend in Wyoming program. Thank you for tuning in. Of course, Cheyenne Frontier Day is still in full swing. Drive carefully out there. I've had a couple <laughs> a couple of adventures in driving that uh, I can laugh about, but they might not have been funny had they gone differently. I was going down, I believe it was Warren the other day, uh, one-way street. A gentleman from Colorado charges up the street the wrong way on a one-way street, headed straight for me. Fortunately, he got out of the way and I escaped. But uh, it, it, it was it was interesting. Keep in mind, we've got a lot of out-of-towners in town. And, you know, I'll admit it, some of our Cheyenne drivers aren't necessarily grade-A motorists either. We all know that. So the, the point I'm making here is do drive carefully. And, of course, uh, uh, CFD in, in its full swing through the weekend, and then things get back to more or less normal on Monday. You're in tune with Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station, AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne Orchard Valley. It's 1131. Your day weather forecast is brought to you by Four Corner Siding. No matter the weather, Four Corner Siding can help protect your home. Could be a wet and soggy Saturday for southeastern Wyoming. Once again, scattered thunderstorms, heavier rains possible, especially over the foothills and mountain areas. Highs middle and upper 70s today, lows tonight in the mid-50s. Upper 70s with some low 80s on your Sunday. Sunshine during the day with an isolated thunderstorm late afternoon, then clearing Sunday night, lows low to mid-50s. I'm day weather meteorologist Don Watson. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. St. Jude takes care of absolutely everything. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. St. Jude allowed me to focus on being a mom to Bryce. And sometimes I'm just in awe of the impact St. Jude has, not only on this community, but the world. St. Jude is uniquely positioned to advance the cures of pediatric cancer, I think better than any other institution in the world. The contributions make a big difference. Donors are important to us because you get the feeling that you have a team behind you. We have the resources and we have the focus. And so if St. Jude doesn't do it, who will? St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Olivia, from Washington. <clears throat> Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger, from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel, from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. 
AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. On the phone, I have Laura Hafner, principal of the Cheyenne Virtual School. Uh, good morning. Hi, how are you, Doug? Good. How are you doing this morning? Great, thanks. Now, I invited you on to talk about the Cheyenne Virtual School. What is the Cheyenne Virtual School? What is that exactly? Absolutely. We are a district virtual program. So throughout Wyoming, each district could have their own virtual program or there's some options that are available throughout the state where students from any district can join. But we are Laramie County's option for virtual schooling. Now, when we're talking virtual schooling, is that K through 12 or what grades are available? It is. We are a K through 12 program, um, K through 8 grade is kind of run primarily by me as the principal and then the ninth through 12th grade students as a program run through their boundary schools and so they can work make sure that their diploma still stays with their schools graduate and participate in programs with their high schools as needed so if you go to the virtual school you could still for example play sports absolutely is, is the virtual school program new or is it just something that i just heard of so this is our second year. So it was new in Laramie County last year. Um, it was a kind of an idea of we need a district virtual program that had been in the works anyway, but then obviously um, with COVID, it was a little faster creation because of the response to COVID for last year. Um, but it is, um, so this is our second year. Now, how, how does a virtual school work? Do these kids, uh, do they just sit in front of a computer all day? Do they still go to a regular school? How, how, what's a typical school day for a virtual school student? Let me put it that way. Yeah, good question. And so I think there's a lot of varieties that you can do in virtual school. I always like to think of it as a school of choice. And so it gives a lot of freedom. And so it's used for a variety of reasons. Last year, um, our growth was pretty high because of COVID. But in typical um, fashion, you know, virtual schools have been around for a very long time. I established a virtual school 10 years ago in another state. So something that's not new. Um, but a, a virtual school option is, you know, typically students log in. Um, there is asynchronous, which means um, it's not at the same time, and synchronous learning, which means at the same time um, that goes on in virtual. So teachers do live lessons, which is called synchronous learning, in which kids can join in and Zoom and be part of their lessons and engage with them and do classroom discussions. And then they have the asynchronous part, which is um, the lessons and different items on the computer that they also go through on their own. So um, sometimes there's typically scheduled times, like say your teacher's gonna do a 10 o'clock lesson from 10 to 11 that you have to attend. But then there's other times that maybe it's your classwork that you wanna schedule at a time that's a little more flexible. So they have those options. It's not, they sit at a computer from eight to three all day. There's flexibility in how that day looks. Do you expect a bump in participation due to people kind of getting used to the concept during the pandemic? Or do we I know? Do. I think it's something that families um, have realized, hey, this is a cool option for us because we had a, a large response because of COVID, obviously. Um, but now we have families that have said, you know, this really worked for our needs and our family. And a lot of parents who said, I liked being at home, being a learning coach with my student, um, because it really does take a coordination with a parent at home um, and the school obviously we don't have them in front of us. And so really having a parent engaged or a learning coach as we call it engaged at home to you know help the little ones 
log in to help the little ones understand their lessons. As they get older, check their lessons, check their work, see what they did that day versus them just saying, hey, I worked for 30 minutes, but really go in to see, did the kiddo really work for hours or did they work for minutes and and help us um, be a partner with their child's education. So a lot of parents have really enjoyed being involved and being hands-on in their child's education. So it sounds like the parents have a larger role in a a virtual school setting as opposed to regular school setting. Would that be a fair statement? That is a fair statement, yes. Um, They are definitely, there are eyes and ears at home where the teacher can't necessarily be right over that kiddo. They're there. I think it's more, I always call it a partnership um, with the teacher. They're kind of, um, they're, they're instrumental in student success online. How many participants did we have in the virtual school last year? Last year, we started with over 2,000 oh, really? students in the virtual school. Yes. So we were we were the largest school in the state of Wyoming. And, um, but this year, we're looking at definitely a lower number. Um, we're looking, uh, I want to say K through 12, probably looking at about between three and 400 students for going into the school year this year. So last year, it was swelled by the pandemic, I would assume. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's still a pretty substantial number, 400. How many students do we have total in the district? Um, we have about 14,000 total in the district. So that's a significant number that are doing the virtual school then. It is. It is. Um, I think for the younger kids, like I said, I think parents have enjoyed the hands-on approach. It, um, You know, homeschool parents have, have been around and, and do a great job. And I think this is kind of a way for parents that don't feel comfortable creating their own curriculum to still be very hands-on with their child. It's our curriculum, the district's curriculum, but they're at home to be able to have some flexibility with their kiddos. I think for a lot of older students, um, it works if they have jobs or they want to have a lot of athletics or other activities. It gives them some flexibility in their day. Um, We have some kiddos that play hockey um, that um, maybe have a full-time job, but they're able still to do their schooling in not the traditional time frame. So just because a kid's in virtual school doesn't mean they'll miss out necessarily on the social aspects of education either. We like to think so. I will say last year, again, because of the pandemic, it was less of a social opportunity, but that's something we really push as a district virtual school. That's something we're able to do is have some face-to-face gatherings and have that social. We try to do that and create that in Zoom within their classes to create relationships, and it's really prevalent in the K through eighth grade. Um, But even this year going forward, you know, our plan is to have those kids if they want to come into the building once a week for a couple of hours and have some socialization, do some hands-on science, um, do some things that maybe we can't create virtually. We can do because we are a district program and they live locally. Okay, I'm speaking with Laura Hafner, principal of the Laramie County District 1, School District 1 virtual school program. Um, Laura, you mentioned flexibility as being one of the advantages of virtual school. What are some other assets, if any? I think, yeah, I think flexibility. You know, we have, unfortunately, in schools, um, and I, I, you know, everywhere we go, there's kids that aren't always comfortable in school, or they say it's not the right place for them. And so allowing students to do virtual in the comfort of their home may be a more comfortable setting for them and maybe a place that they feel safer or more secure. So there's that option. Um, I think that's a, that's been a big thing that we've seen from families also. What are some challenges with virtual school? I think you did kind of touch on one that sometimes socializal, uh, socialization, if I could talk, uh, could be a little bit of a challenge. What are some of the other challenges, if there are any? 
Yeah, I think there can be some. Um, you know, you've got to be motivated. You know, one thing, if you have a parent, especially those younger kiddos, and they've got that parent with them, and they're kind of keeping them on task. But as a kid, get, a student gets older, you know, they typically are, become more responsible. Parents are less hands-on. Um, and that really needs a, a motivated child. Just because a, a student in school makes um, straight A's doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a motivated virtual student. So they've really got to want to get on, complete their assignments, do their lessons. Um, engage with um, their teacher online and so it is a little different than when you go to school every day and there's somebody there that can kind of help motivate you i would say that's probably one of the bigger disadvantages is, is the motivation flip side of that though it occurs to me that that could be good training for the real world because when you're out there working you may have to be a self-starter and this may be a good way to learn that i do doug i agree with that i think we are um, creating um you know, students who are successful, um, a lot of college classes are now remote or virtual, have a virtual aspect to them. And so I think it's an important part for students to kind of learn how to do that, to pace themselves, to plan accurately, to schedule themselves correctly. So I do think it's a life skill that is extremely important. How many also that comes with that is, is communication. How do you communicate on the phone and in conversations and proper emails and text messaging? There's a lot of that that takes place. And so we're able to really teach them those life skills that are important for job placement. And that's all real, real world stuff anymore. That's not uh, not something that's off in a corner. It's something that pretty much everybody deals with in the workday world. Absolutely. Okay, I'm speaking with Laura Hafner. She's the principal of the uh, Cheyenne Virtual School Program in Laramie County School District 1. Laura, we do have registration coming up. Um, if uh, if parents want their kids to maybe take a look at the, at the virtual school option, if they want to enlist them, if they want to register the kids, how does that all work? Yeah, so same as it does for any other school in the district, we are at the Eastridge facility, which is the old Cary building, um, and we have uh, staff there right now currently. So we our registration has been open all summer, and it is currently available on the registration dates with the district, but we also have staff there that parents can come in anytime, and we can help them get registered if that's something they want to do. We will do a, um, and that is K through 8 grade at the Eastridge facility and then ninth through 12th graders would go to their boundary school to make that happen and then we will do on the first day of school a live orientation where students will come in and pick up their devices they'll pick up any textbooks or materials that we want them to have and we'll walk them through the process and make sure that they're ready to go at home on their own now as far as the district does it cost any more or less for the district to implement a virtual school program is it expensive is it not expensive how does that work Teachers are the same teachers within the district. Um, the equipment used is the iPads, just like the students have within district schools. We are using um, the same district approved content for K through sixth grade. So wit and wisdom, the different products that you're gonna hear about um, with the district using, we're using. So those factors are the same cost. Obviously the facility cost would not be as much um, because we don't have students in the building every day. And so therefore the facilities cost would be less. Laura, do you think this is the wave of the future in education? I do. Um, like I said, I began um, working in virtual school environment in 2011, um, and it was kind of new in the state that I was at, and it really just exploded and has become the norm there. And so I do see this as the wave of the future, um, and I do think it's important that hands-on, face-to-face is still important in education, but I think school choice with families is also extremely important and the flexibility to allow and what finds what works best for each individual student. You know, it's just not one size fits all anymore. 
Lauren, is there anything about the virtual school program that we haven't covered that you'd like our audience to know or anything you'd like to tell our listeners? I just, I think, um, always reach out to me. You know, I'm, I'm somebody that's very accessible. My information is on the district website under the Cheyenne Virtual School. So if parents have questions or concerns, I'm always available. Um, and, and think that that's something, a service that we're able to provide is being very able to commu- easily um, reachable and able to communicate. And I think it, if they have questions, concerns of how it works, that's something we can walk them through. And we're really excited about the second year. Um, we've c- put in place some new ideas and new um, areas that we didn't have available last year. So um, looking forward to what this year is able to bring us. Is there any kind of uh, barrier in terms of just that it's something new and parents quite aren't, aren't quite sure about it? Is that, is that a challenge you run into? I think the challenge is, you know, we went into remote learning at the end of um, 2020. Um, you know, every school shut down and we went remote learning. And I think that challenge is what is virtual learning versus what was remote learning? And those are two very different areas. And so virtual education, it is a commitment. It is a four to six hours a day working, um, whether it's online, whether it's on text materials or Zooming. Um, And so that has been a challenge is what is virtual versus remote? Um, And I think a lot of parents because of COVID maybe didn't feel like they had a lot of options. They wanted to keep their child safe, um, but they didn't necessarily want to have them on the computer all day. And so what are the choices to do? Um, And so I think the pandemic has really changed things in our approach in education and how do we look at it? Is there anything else you'd like people to know? Or do you think we've pretty well covered the topic? I think we've covered it. I appreciate you giving us a chance to talk and, uh, and, and hope that uh, we'll hear people reach out with questions or concerns of how we can serve them and help them. Okay, I'd like to thank my guest on this segment. I've been speaking with Laura Hafner, president of the Cheyenne, or not president, principal for the Cheyenne Virtual School in Laramie County School District 1. Thanks, Laura. I appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. six the time it's wake up Wyoming. my name is Glenn Woods thanks for joining me I was standing by waiting for Cynthia Lummis they have a hard stop at 817 according to Miss Mary here but uh, so she'll be joining us she on with us and she called in waiting for her I guess that, that happens now and then because you know these people in Congress or senators and so on they have like stuff to do uh, thanks to Tony in Cheyenne, she writes, trigger warning, yes, posted to Twitter, let the games begin. Have a good day, Glenn. Thank you for what you do. And I appreciate that. Well, for those who don't know what, she, what Tony's talking about. So what I did was go to the Wake Up Wyoming site, take a look at it. And besides the Wake Up Wyoming, well, you can use the app to get there. But go ahead and take a look at that. And what it is is a list of trigger warnings. What I want, just like when you drive into Wyoming... And you see those wall drug signs all over the place, even in Wyoming. When you, I would like a, a bunch of signs like that, but have the same size, but trigger warnings listed on them for people who are from the left coast or just from more liberal states. And they are going to go into a conservative state to vacation and it's going to freak them out. That's what I would like them to see when they drive into the states. Warning, we hunt, we fish, we have guns, we like it. Things like that, right? Just so you know. 
warning, we stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Things like this that just warn people when they drive into the state of Wyoming. I, I want to add one. A warning, if you don't like the way we do it here, turn left to Colorado. Something like that. Just a list of warnings, trigger warnings for people driving into the state. So Tony was nice enough to grab that and put it up on Twitter. And that ought to help people driving into the state. I'm asking for suggestions too, by the way. And I'm getting a lot of really good suggestions that I'm going to add to the list. But yeah, let the games begin. As people enter the state of Wyoming, they should be warned as to what kind of state they're entering. On the phone with me right now is Cynthia Lummis, who for some odd reason did you try, just decided it would be fun to return to the insanity of Washington, D.C. Do you do that just, Cynthia, so you seem more normal did you, when you look at the people in D.C.? <laughs> well, good morning, Glenn. I, I, I know I question my own sanity, so I don't know. It's been a little difficult uh, since the first week in January, not anything like I anticipated it would be. Okay. Well, now, real quick, because there's a lot of things that you wanted to talk about, but I wanted to take a look real quick. There's that uh, bill they have up, the Democrats have up, which would be probably shot down today, that has to do with voting laws across the country. And it looks like the Democrats probably don't have enough votes to get this through. Where are we at on that? Yeah, and thank God they don't have enough votes. This bill is one of the worst policies you can imagine. Uh, it would gut uh, popular state voter ID laws. I mean, obviously, Glenn, if you have to get on an airplane to show your ID, you ought to be able to show your ID to vote. And most Americans agree with that. Has it been uh, brought up to some of these? 9% of black voters, by the way. Well, has it been brought up? To these Democrats, that many of their states have more restrictive voting laws than Georgia. It has, and they are undaunted. Okay. Uh, because this isn't about uh, correcting uh, voting uh, laws. This is about uh, their party being put in a position to never lose an election. Right. Uh, so it it allows things like unlimited ballot harvesting, mandating ballot drop boxes, um, no voter IDs required. Right. Uh, get this one. It provides government funding for campaigns. <laughs> when it gets to that, would you like to donate a dollar on your taxes to the presidential? Let them raise their own money. I, I, I never signed. No, I, I never checked that one. You are also working on legislation that has to do with uh, the digital dollar, if you will. Now, is this like the dollar in cryptocurrency form? Is that what we're talking about here? We're talking about two different types of currency. Okay. One could be a digital dollar, which is literally the same currency we currently use, but in mm. digital form. Right. Um, and that would strengthen the global role of the U.S. dollar and secure a strong financial future uh, for people who are used to using uh, digital formats uh, to transact business. China already is rolling out a digital currency, and, but it's very different motivations than what we have. Their motivation is surveillance right. and control of the financial system, whereas privacy should be the cornerstone of any discussion of digital currency, whether it is uh, the U.S. dollar or 
Bitcoin. Okay, but uh, devil's advocate with you here, the way the federal government is spending money, and so much of it is digital anyway, so they borrow and print all sorts of money that we can't possibly pay back. Is this just another way for federal government just to go ahead and supply themselves with fake money that'll eventually crash the real dollar? Yeah, and I worry about that too, Glenn, which is why I invest in Bitcoin. Okay. Uh, the fact that the Congress has been so utterly irresponsible this entire century with regard to its spending uh, puts the U.S. dollar, in my opinion, uh, in at risk, especially as a vehicle for saving. Uh, good heavens, if you take a young person in their 30s, they're starting to save money uh, that they won't use until they're in their 60s or 70s. Uh, why on earth would they take a chance uh, putting all of their money uh, in something that is a U.S. dollar denominated mm -hmm. uh, because it's going to erode in value for time given how irresponsible the Congress is. So in order to store value for my own retirement, um, I invest some of my money in Bitcoin right. and uh, I see it as what will store value uh, even for somebody my age, you know, when I look at uh, something that will hold its value over the next 15 years, um, I'm looking at Bitcoin. Right. So now, how does a digital U.S. dollar differ from the current U.S. dollar for the layman out there? Yeah, a digital U.S. dollar uh, would allow people to uh, transact business across oceans uh, and settle those transactions on the same day. Okay. Uh, and right now, uh, that can't happen. In fact, usually it requires several days to settle transactions. Uh, so it allows for a more immediate um, uh, conveyance of, of the value behind the U.S. dollar. And that's true whether you're just a small uh, purchaser uh, or a, uh, a, a large transaction across the ocean. Okay. So banks would change. I'm glad Wyoming is front and center on this. We're leading all the other states on cryptocurrencies. So then how would this change the way the uh, federal government then, let's say, collects taxes or does other exchanges? Does it change the dynamic? Because we're so used to money flowing in a certain way. Does it flow in a different way now here? It doesn't. It just flows faster okay. and with greater certainty. So okay. you don't have uh, the, the overnight risk, if you will, yeah. uh, that's associated with uh, transferring money on one end of a transaction and not receiving it in a timely manner on the other end of the transaction. Okay. It removes that uncertainty. And, and let me tell you, just because it's a fascinating anecdote, Glenn, um, the El Salvador just determined to use Bitcoin as legal tender. Mm -hmm. And the reason they did that is there are lots of El Salvadorans working in the United States sending money home to their relatives right. in El Salvador and do it using Western Union. Uh, well, Western Union is cumbersome and it's expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, if they can transfer money from their cell phone in the U.S., to their mother's cell phone in El Salvador sure. in Bitcoin, 
there is no transaction fee, zero. In so if fact, they send their mother a hundred bucks, their yeah. mother. Cheyenne's News and Talk Station, AM 650, KGAB, Orchard Valley, Cheyenne, a town square media station. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You've accidentally cut your daughter's bangs unevenly. Do you A, line things up a centimeter from her hairline? Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. No, 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 no. sweatbands are so hot right now. Everyone's wearing them, like that basketball player and that other basketball player. B, get spiritual. Mom, where did all the mirrors go? A reflection could never capture our true selves. Huh? Beauty is within? Um. C, look on the bright side. Less time blow drying, more time texting. Or D, show empathy. Mom, you really don't have Ta-da! to- Ta-da! Twinsies! <laughs> I kinda love it. <laughs> As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Dad, this is fun. I didn't think I liked kayaking. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. But I think it's time to head back in. Okay. Can we come back? Sure. Hey, be careful getting out of the boat. It's a kayak, Dad. <laughs> I'm going to return the kayak. Can we walk home? How about a taxi? It's a short fare from your neighborhood to your naturehood. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a neighborhood park or green space near you. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Forest Service. Hi, everybody. I'm Jack Hanna. Since I was a boy, I've been fascinated with animals, especially their tireless work ethic. This work ethic is shared by our best friends, canines who perform life-saving work every day. So please join me and American Humane in supporting our heroic working dogs. Go to AmericanHumane.org to learn more. And you're in tune with Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station, AM 650 KGAB, the Weekend in Wyoming program. We have a news and information break coming up at the top of the hour at 12.05. We're going to be speaking with Laramie County Sheriff's candidate Patrick Long. He'll be calling in live so you can ask him questions, uh, make comments uh, as the case may be. He's, uh, he's on with us at 12.05. At 12.33, we'll talk to the Laramie County 4-H program. AM 650 KGAB Cheyenne Orchard Valley. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. It's 12 noon. Thank you for joining. The Senate working on the weekend. I'm Joe Chiro, Fox News. The U.S. Senate is in session today to resume efforts to pass a bipartisan infrastructure bill that would spend about a trillion dollars on projects like roads, rail lines, power, and water. Later, Democrats are expected to try to push through a much larger infrastructure bill of social programs. Republican Senator Bill Haggerty of Tennessee on Cavuto Live. They're going to push through this $3.5 trillion completely partisan package. It's a tax and spending spree. Democrats plan to use the reconciliation procedure to move that package through the chamber without any Republican support. Meanwhile, the House controversy continues after Speaker Nancy Pelosi implemented a rule requiring all representatives to wear a mask while on Capitol Hill. South Carolina Republican Representative Nancy Mace took issue with this in a video she posted to Twitter this past week. In the tunnels this morning, socially distant from anybody else. I had COVID. I've had two vaccines. 
vaccinations. I'm washing my hands. I'm even wearing my mask inside the chamber, but I'm not going to wear it anywhere else. So, Madam Speaker, come and get me. The mask mandate does not apply to the Senate. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky has been under fire after she said the government is considering a federal vaccine mandate. We saw a tweet from the CDC Director to clarify there will be no nationwide mandate. I was referring to mandates by private institutions and portions of the federal government. There will be no federal mandate. So what can the federal government do? Well, for one, we know that they are encouraging different companies to give people time off to go get the vaccine for either themselves or to help their family to go get the vaccine. They're also encouraging states to offer up $100 to make sure people have money to get out there and take care of themselves. The Pentagon is also examining when vaccines can be required for armed forces. Fox's Mark Meredith. America is listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. What are the most important issues facing Americans today? Every Monday, join me, Brett Baer, Chief Political Anchor and Anchor and Executive Editor of Special Report, and my rotating all-star panel of experts as we discuss the policies, practices and solutions to the biggest and most important issues of the day. You can hear new episodes every Monday. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Fox News Rundown is a weekday morning podcast that dives deep into the major and controversial stories of the day. Hosted by the anchors of Fox News Radio. Subscribe now to hear a perspective of news you won't find anywhere else. Listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Republican California gubernatorial candidate Larry Elder is speaking out against Governor Gavin Newsom's policies during the pandemic. He violated the science. He sat at that French laundry restaurant with the very people that drafted the mandates while they were violating the mandates by not wearing masks, by not socially distancing, had his own kids enjoying in-person private education mm -hmm. while denying that right for uh, California school students. Newsom says that if he's recalled, the effects will be felt across the country and could help Republican efforts to win the 2020 midterms. A number of people were recovering from injuries they received when two trolleys ran into each other in Boston. Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority General Manager Steve Poftek. Uh, according to Boston EMS, 23 individuals were transported to the hospital. According to Boston EMS, all were transported conscious and alert. None of them are believed to have life-threatening injuries. The cause of last night's accident is under investigation. It's time to look to the night sky and see a show being put on by Saturn. Every year, Saturn swings into opposition with Earth and shines its brightest. That's when Earth is between the ringed planet and the sun. This year, it happens the night between August 1st and 2nd, giving cosmic watchers their best chance to see the celestial beauty. You'll be able to view Saturn with the naked eye, but if you want to see its glorious rings, you'll need a telescope. Earth skies says the prime time for getting a glimpse is Monday around 2 a.m. Eastern. And if you need help locating the sixth planet from the sun, a stargazing app will show you the way. Carmen Roberts, Fox News. And there's another show on the way. Jupiter will be in opposition the night of August 19th through the 20th. And the Perseid meteor shower is getting underway with the best night. Right at your door. Buy local Wyoming roasted coffee at snowyelk.com. 
Your day weather forecast is brought to you by Four Corner Siding. No matter the weather, Four Corner Siding can help protect your home. Could be a wet and soggy Saturday for southeastern Wyoming. Once again, scattered thunderstorms, heavier rains possible, especially over the foothills and mountain areas. Highs middle and upper 70s today, lows tonight in the mid-50s. Upper 70s with some low 80s on your Sunday. Sunshine during the day with an isolated thunderstorm late afternoon, then clearing Sunday night, lows low to mid-50s. I'm day weather meteorologist Don Watzel. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio program. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. On the phone, I have Laramie County Sheriff Candidate Patrick Long. Good afternoon, Mr. Long. Good afternoon. How are you all doing today? Good. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me on your show. Now, you announced recently you're running for sheriff. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Correct. Yeah, I got into law enforcement back in... uh well, actually, when I graduated uh, high school, I went to college and graduated over in uh, Riverton, uh, Central Wyoming College with an associate's degree. Then I got into law enforcement with uh, the Wyoming Department of Corrections, and I worked there for a couple years and continued to advance, and I did some uh, other state work in uh, security that kind of managed my uh, skills and built on my resume as and more of a community setting so that I could understand how uh, protocols and mostly with the state would work and then uh, I transitioned up here to Laramie County about six years ago and had been in the detention center for six years and uh, see a lot of issues here in Laramie County that I think I'm the man to fix so uh, I'd love to have the people's vote here uh, community oriented for sure uh, I just don't agree with a lot of stuff the, the current administration is doing and I think it needs fixed and somebody uh with enough uh, brass like me can fix that. I'm not afraid to take the heat and get out there and let people know who I am. So, What, what are some of the issues that you feel need to be fixed? Well, we have a lot of things going on in the sheriff's office and, and actually in Laramie County that aren't being addressed. There's a whole lot of, uh, seems to be focused crimes on, uh, on, on revenue. You know, it's easy to get the DUIs, so let's have my guys get the DUIs. But in the meantime, we're leaving other more important issues out there in the community. We're not doing anything for the homeless population. I strongly disagree with the uh, open container issues that got passed downtown. You know, that's going to create problems. Uh, that's not a reasonable solution to handle the homeless uh, transient population. We we don't need to uh, lock people up and throw away the key. That's not that's not the goal of a community. The goal of the community and the goal of the detention center and the sheriff should be to rehabilitate the criminals and get them back on the streets through education, through programs within the detention center to get them as functioning individuals within the community. And, and, and it's really sad to say, but that's not uh, what's happening right now. What's, what's happening is it's the throw away the key mentality and, and that's not helping anybody. And that's how come the recidivism rate, if you look at it so high, the crime rates are so high. We we don't really do a whole lot of community-oriented policing right now, and that's a problem. There's a detachment between the the city, county, and state departments, and we need to get back to functioning more as a team unit, as a whole, uh, and everybody needs to get on board. And we need to do more functions in the community to let people know that we're there, that that we're not just somebody to be scared of and that we're not just going to put our name all over town when it's frontier days or special events. And, I, and uh, so, yeah, I hope that kind of answers that question. Uh, 
you know, there's community-oriented policing, but we're not doing it. All we're doing is focused on one little problem area, and that's what we're going to do because that's what gets the numbers for us. And that's just not correct. It, it's got to be a joint function between all agencies and work together to get things accomplished and get the community back on track. It, it's, a, it's an issue when, we, when the sheriff's office current administration creates policies and doesn't follow them themselves. Uh, and, and they need leadership. There's not leadership there that's willing to be accountable for the actions. And I've always been accountable for what I've done, what I stand behind, and what I do. And I'll do that for the citizens of Laramie County. Okay, following up on a couple of points you touched on, when you're talking about community policing, uh, what is community policing and how would you like to implement it if you were elected? So so what happens with community-oriented policing is that everybody um, out there on patrol should have an assigned district or an assigned route that they're going to kind of look at. They're not just going to pick little hidey holes out by the outlaw to go ahead and say, oh, it's, you know, at this time we're going to, go ahead and turn those sirens on and bring somebody in for a DUI. They, they should be out in the community getting to know the families that live in that neighborhood, getting to know your uh, rural citizens and, and all that stuff. So community-oriented policing really focuses on the community so that you can have a good working relationship with everybody in the community. That way, when you have an officer out there in that section of the community that he's assigned to, he understands, oh, you know, I know this person. Let's talk. Let's, let's figure this out on a more communication-based level than, uh, you know, oh, I don't know what's going on. Let me, let's race over here and find out, and then confusion happens and things go where they don't need to be. So it mostly focuses on being with the community. Another aspect of that is is having events to put your officers out there. I'd like to put uh, school resource officers back in, in, uh, in the Laramie County School District. Uh, I feel like I could adequately present a lot of arguments why we need school resource officers in our schools and why they should be county positions and not city positions because Laramie County School District is Laramie County, so uh, they should be county positions filled. Um, I'd like to bring back the D.A.R.E. program in the schools and, and get a close working relationship with the, with the kids in the schools. Um, there's a juvenile center out on Archer that uh, does some good, but that's only focuses on the individuals that are there for issues associated with their life whether in the crisis center or or on the juvenile side for uh detention um but we need to have a good working relationship with all the citizens and and, and the root cause goes down to if we can get back in the schools and have a good working relationship with the students they can interact with us then when they're older we can avoid a lot of the crimes and stuff that we're having now you know, it, and it's just about treating people good and, and being community-oriented. Now, as, as I'm sure you're aware, the Cheyenne Police Department has an annual neighborhood night out program. Would you like to see the Sheriff's Department have a similar thing? I, I would. I would. I wouldn't only like to have an annual neighborhood night out because I don't, like I said, I don't think it's just something you do once a year. I think it's something that you got to kind of work at and do at least quarterly, maybe even monthly. I'd like to get out in the community and have invites and open houses to to meet and greet people, you know. It's not something that uh, it, it annually is great, and I think that's good, but it, but it should be done more often and more frequently. Okay, I'm speaking with Laramie County Sheriff's Candidate Patrick Long. By the way, if you have any questions or comments, we are taking calls, 632-3323. 
Uh, Patrick, you mentioned the homeless issues in Cheyenne. That's been an ongoing problem for as long as I can remember. I know our mayor recently said we need to have a community conversation about homeless people in Cheyenne. How would you address it? What What are your views on that? Well, I think that the Comia Shelter does a great job uh, right now, but it's just not a big enough facility to take care of that. Ideally, what I would like to see done is uh, there's a tearing down of the hotel across the what the, the the hitching post I think that was what that was mm-hmm. and I know that they have uh, quite a bit of funding the Comia shelter does to go ahead and try to find housing for all these individuals on their own through through resources and grants that they've obtained and, and the people that have worked on that have done great things but that's funding that's going to be lost if, if it's not used so I think probably the best option would be to try to get something built that could be utilized for those people where where they can go in there and get checked in and, and kind of get restabilized out on their feet. And, and another option to kind of help run that would be if we utilize incarcerated individuals within the detention center to operate kind of the, the kitchen atmosphere of that place or the food facility through a, through a work crew. So that's one way that I could get individuals uh, back in the community with some job skills is to kind of do that. I'd like to work with them and, and, and set up the ability to kind of help, Get the transient people off the streets, somewhere to go, somewhere warm where their option isn't, hey, let me go steal a steak from Safeway so I can get arrested and go to jail, because that's not really what they want to do. They just don't want to freeze to death outside. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but, but at the same time, they need to be able to help themselves also. So if you've got people that are really down on it on times and want to help themselves and check into the Comia shelter and get scheduled out and get counseling placements for jobs and job skills and get a GED provided to them, then I think that's the direction that that needs to go because Laramie County is growing and it, there's lots of jobs here, not only in, you know, not only in the, the county jobs, um, but, but we need everybody to be employed here, you know, grocery people, the janitors, you know, I thank the janitors that worked all the way through COVID because uh, without them taking care of things and keeping things clean, that disease probably would have spread a lot more than it did throughout our county. So all jobs are important and all people are important. And I think we can kind of be more uh, community oriented to help everybody in the community, even new members and visitors. Okay. Now correct me if I'm wrong here, but as I understand it, the, the jail has not been booking people for misdemeanors. Is that correct? Uh, to, to, as far as my understanding goes, the last time that I was there, it was a supervisor decision whether they would be booked in on a misdemeanor. Uh, most of the time that they were only booking in was on uh, if it was a misdemeanor, if it was associated with a violent crime. Do you, somebody would be at risk or the person themselves would be at risk. Do you agree with that policy? You know, n- no, I really don't agree with that. You know, I, that there are certain things I think that we can cite and turn away. Uh, it seems like every time somebody gets caught with a little bit of marijuana on them, we're bringing them into the jail. And I think that's something that we can kind of cite the ticket and have them go to court on. Uh, a DUI is technically a misdemeanor. Uh, we need to bring those in and get them sobered up to get them to court. There's, there's a lot of other things that can be misdemeanors that we need to address and, and take care of. There's a lot of mental health issues in 
with a lot of those arrests going on. So a lot of those people that are getting arrested and cited on misdemeanors should be incarcerated just for the fact that their mental state's not appropriate to be in the community at the time until they can get um, help that's oftentimes provided to them within the jail from the psychologists that we have there to, to help them out and kind of get them back on track. Okay, I'm speaking. So, I know. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, and I know that uh, there's been a lot more issues with that due to the COVID, and that's why they were uh, turning people away for overcrowding. But I don't think it's going to get overcrowded. We have There was 450 beds there. Uh, 200 of them were full, but the reason why they don't want to fill up the new jail that was paid for by the county is because they can't keep it staffed. So that's another issue that I'd like to tackle as soon as I'm the sheriff is getting that jail up to staff. And I can do that as long as they as long as uh, people are going to be treated right and not kind of not treated like it is so the environment needs to change altogether so are you saying that they're having problems staffing because of a poor work environment is that is that what you're saying exactly there's a there's a poor work environment there's a poor team there is no team that i would all, i would go as far to say that the current administration and i guess i'm probably going to get lit up on this but uh they they're uh derelict of duty and incompetent okay of course the the current sheriff is not running for re-election um danny glick is, is retiring uh so do you still see that as an issue maybe with don hollingshead or not yeah i do i see that i see a made majority of how come there is short staffing is through don hollingshead himself how so well, he's right now, he's functioning as the detention captain, so that's pretty high up there in the chain of command as far as that goes. He does a lot of the hiring, a lot of the interviews. He's had six years, I think, as the as the captain there. Maybe, no, maybe only four years, but he's had time to fix the staffing issue. He's given, uh, he's had a lot of ideas on how to fix that. He's had uh, other staff members come to him and talk to him, you know, and he can't get it done. He can't fix it. There's the only reason that they're not working on a, what's called the combined schedule is because the county commissioner shut them down and said, hey, you're spending way too much money on this combined system. Get get off it. Get off the overtime. So they did, but they're still spending money getting people in there because they have to have a minimum number to work a shift. And so, yeah, your people are getting burnt out. I mean, these are people that have been there for anywhere from a year to five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years getting burnt out. And, uh, it causes issues so they they need to treat the employees better and they and they don't do that they don't care they care about what they have and that's it and so until until the environment changes with somebody new that has innovative ideas like myself it's going to be the same old environment covered up and and hidden away from the community and that's not the way that you run a sheriff's office Okay, I'm speaking with Laramie County uh, Sheriff's Candidate uh, Patrick Long. Uh, Patrick, it's it's no news to anybody who lives here, anybody in law enforcement, uh, that we seem to have an ongoing uh, crystal meth problem in our community. Is there anything we can do about it? Well, there there is a lot of things we can do about the, the methamphetamine. There's a whole lot of canines, I think, in Cheyenne alone. The canines can be useful, but a lot of things is to do about the crystal meth issue is, is like I mentioned earlier, it takes school resource officers to get back in the schools, back in the community so that we can kind of more so be mentors to these kids in, in school and, and keep them away from a lot of these issues that they're going to have. You know, I, I think uh, when I was back in, in school, they had the D.A.R.E. program and, and it was a good program. Um, 
I think a lot of times that helped a lot of kids just to know that, hey, you know, I can talk to somebody here about what's going on and, and they're going to help me. They're not here just to arrest me, harass me, uh, do all these other things that are associated with that. And, and I think uh, the meth is a big issue. That, and, the, and the biggest issue is that the chemicals and the products are so readily available to make it. How do we take care of that? I'm, I'm not too sure because the, a lot of those are just household products. What we, what we can do is be more proactive in trying to keep it off the streets, being in the communities, and, and, uh, and continue to have a more presence in the community so that people know, hey, we're out there, we're watching. Don't, don't be crazy. Don't be, you know. And it, it's easy to spot somebody that's on methamphetamine real, realistically because they're going to be, their, their mental state's not right. You're going to see, you, I mean, there's a whole lot of indicators for people that are in law enforcement that know how to recognize if somebody's on drugs or not on drugs. Is the meth problem getting any better or not? No, I don't think it is. And, I, and I'd actually venture to say that it's gotten worse because people are uh, going to heroin-based stuff. And I think, <laughs> I don't know how much that's been brought to the community's attention, but there is black tar heroin in Cheyenne and uh and that needs to be addressed too. Um, um, there's also uh, fentanyl being made and laced into different products that are messing people up. That's a dangerous, pretty dangerous drug. But um, you know, it, it, it's going to happen here in Cheyenne because we're a corridor with two major inter, interstates on it. You got 80 and 25 connecting in. Other counties and, and uh, cities throughout the state of Wyoming have had issues with it. So, of course, you know. People can come up from uh, Mexico, wherever, through a lot of different routes to get here. It's a dropping point, you know, for, for the drugs. And then they're going over probably, I'd guess, to say they head over on to uh, Albany County because that's a college community. But So I'd like to, when I'm the sheriff, I'd like to work with the other counties and kind of get together and include a plan that would take care of that altogether. Um, because realistically, the problem with Laramie County on the drug issue isn't going to get better until the other sheriffs in the state of Wyoming come together and uh, have a discussion to fix the issues along in, in their counties. I, I realize that over in uh, Platte County, there's a couple ladies involved in a lawsuit uh, against actually actual county officials, uh, mayor and uh, things over there that is, I'd, I'd like to have more details on that, you know, but it sounds like they were kind of trying to push to clean up the city and the um, city founding officials or the, you know, the so-called important members kind of pushed them out and got rid of their jobs and they got a new chief of police over there because of it. So that that has to change too. If, uh, you know, as the sheriff, they got, you got to be able to work with other individuals um, throughout the relationship. You know, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on in the, district attorney's office i saw some papers uh in the news on that uh, stuff going out and i haven't really hold, heard a whole lot about how that was going so I, i'd kind of like to uh, look into that a little bit and see who's running for da i don't think anybody's really put out there that they're going to run for the district attorney's office yet or uh, i would assume that man love will probably be lo uh, running again um you know but i just want people to be aware of what's going on and and how to get things solved for the community so it's better as a whole 
I haven't heard of any other candidates. In fact, I haven't heard of any candidates running for DA um, at all. I, I, I don't know if Leanne Manlove will run for re-election. I haven't spoken to her about that. I haven't really heard of any candidates filing, but we're still a year out, too, so there's ways to go. Um, okay, I'm speaking with Patrick Long, candidate for Laramie County Sheriff. Of course, uh, Patrick, if you go a few miles south here, marijuana is legal. Is that a problem for us in Laramie County? You know, it's it's uh, it's really not a problem. The, the marijuana is really not a problem when you when uh, when you look at all the other drugs here. Um, you know, eight miles to the to uh, Colorado, people people are going to do it there. I don't think that the marijuana is a, an issue so much as the meth and the heroin and the uh, fentanyl is in Cheyenne. And, it, and it, I would say that it is a slight issue, but um, uh, alcohol itself and the DUIs associated with that are, are a more major issue than, uh, than the marijuana is. Okay, we talked about Don Hollingshead, who has said he's running for sheriff. Pretty much everybody expects our former police chief, Brian Kozak, to run. Um, how would you do things differently than Brian Kozak? How would I do things differently than Brian Kozak? Yes. Well, you know, I, I think that the mayor, the current current mayor, uh, Collins, made an excellent decision when he decided to get a new chief of police and, and uh, went from the outside to get one and introduced him into the community because that's what he saw to be fit for change for, for uh, the city of Cheyenne and Laramie County. Um, Brian Kozak, I think, had a relatively good career in law enforcement, but I don't think he's kept up to date on how to do things, and I think he's done, oh, uh, how do you say, I think he's probably got a little bit too many skeletons in the closet to deal with when it all starts coming out in the, in the newspapers and things. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think he's going to have a hard time getting over is that the coin shop, issue the coin shop murder that happened uh i don't think back in 2015 still unresolved i know there's still a lot of people that don't feel safe being downtown around that area because they, they can't even solve a, a murder that happened when there was hundreds of people out on the street that day for for the parades and things so i think that's kind of lacking for him i think uh he, the fact that he had probably and years as, as the chief, or maybe more, uh, and he couldn't get things done. He, they, the people gave him the 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 old mayor gave him opportunity to get things done, and he couldn't get it done. Uh, so, I don't expect him to be able to get anything done in the sheriff's office. Being on how he had ten years with the city to get things done and couldn't get it done. Um, the things that I'll do different is, like I said, I want to see. Uh, the officers and the deputies out in the community. I want to work with the sh with the Cheyenne Police Department and the Highway Patrol. I, I want to work with uh, rangers if they have the state park rangers if they happen to come in here. I want to work with all of them and develop a, a really good relationship um, and a relationship that's not focused on uh, my department's better than your department. It, it has to be a joint operation. We're all brothers and sisters in law enforcement that ideally want the same goal and that's to protect our community and protect our citizens that's what we signed up for we didn't sign up to uh put a badge on our chest and, and a whole bunch of bars and stars and say you know i'm you know this is who i am and now you follow all these rules because that because that's not how you run your office you got to be down to earth and and understand your community um and yeah i, I don't know i'd like to look into more of what happened why brian kozak resigned they said it was over uh, the crime records not having gone down for 
the last three years that they were on the rise. So he disputes those, and and, and rightfully so. It's somebody, you know, I, I he's probably going to dispute what I'm saying, and I wouldn't expect anything anything less from him, or I wouldn't expect anything less from Don Hollingstead to dispute what I'm saying. That that's just how it is. We're we're all uh, kind of in the same fight, but but uh, but I've always been a a political fighter and a political activist to stand up for people's rights. So I think I'm well equipped to do that. And, uh, and I don't have a problem taking accountability for what I, what I've said today or anything in the future. Okay. I've asked you questions for the last 20 some minutes. We have about a minute left. Is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners that we haven't talked about? Uh, yeah, feel, feel free to reach out, contact me. I got a page set up. It's, uh, at, um, at long to sheriff you can you can reach out to that and i'll get back to anybody who wants to talk to me um yeah it's been great talking to you i appreciate the listeners that did listen uh hopefully you've got some in insight as to who i am and who i expect to be as your sheriff so that uh, we can get laramie county back on track and uh any questions comments or concerns yeah free field to shoot it over at long to sheriff 2022 Oh, just a real basic question. Are you running as a Republican or a Democrat? I am running as a Republican. I, I wouldn't uh, see it any other way. Okay. I'd like to thank my guest on this segment. I've been speaking with Laramie County candidate for sheriff, uh, candidate for Laramie County sheriff, I guess would be the correct phrasing, uh, Patrick Long. Patrick, we appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you. I appreciate you all giving me a spot on the show. Talk, to you. Day. Talk to you later. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. That was uh, candidate for Laramie County Sheriff Patrick Long coming up on the other side of the bottom of the uh, news, uh, uh, bottom of the hour news and information break. We'll be speaking with Laramie County 4-H and find out what they're doing here locally. That's just ahead right here on Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. Thank you for tuning in. Great to have you along here this afternoon. Be safe. One and a half more days left of Cheyenne Frontier Days. Do drive safe. I've seen some fender benders out there, so do be careful. With a discussion with Laramie County 4-H. That's just ahead on AM 650 KGAB. Well, my daddy left home when I was three, and he didn't leave much to my ma and me. Just this old guitar and an empty bag of revive. Now, I'm not going to whine and carry on, because he gave us the secret to a healthy lawn. Keeping it lush, dark green, and alive. Listen, get yourself a bag of Revive this weekend and lay it down. In a few days, you'll have the greenest lawn on the block. Use Revive. It works. The first step to a beautiful lawn this year is an application of Revive Organic Soil Treatment. Apply Revive now. The results, a lush, green, healthy lawn without brown spots and dry areas. Revive's powerful but safe blend of wetting agents, soil conditioners, and nutrients gives you greener grass with less water. And remember, saving water is saving money. Grand or all the time online at toyotaoflaramie.com. Your day weather forecast is brought to you by Four Corner Siding. No matter the weather, Four Corner Siding can help protect your home. Could be a wet and soggy Saturday for southeastern Wyoming. Once again, scattered thunderstorms, heavier rains possible, especially over the foothills and mountain areas. Highs middle and upper 70s today, lows tonight in the mid-50s. Upper 70s with some low 80s on your Sunday. Sunshine during the day with an isolated thunderstorm late afternoon, then clearing Sunday night, lows low to mid-50s. I'm day weather meteorologist Don Watzel. Dear Vet Ticks, 
Thank you for a great experience and for your support of the military and veterans. Thank you so much, VetTix. Our family has gone through a lot the last few years, and this gave us a nice break. Every empty seat at a concert game or a special event is a missed opportunity to say thank you to a veteran. Give your extra tickets to VetTix. Give something to those who gave. For more information on how you can make a difference, go to VetTix.org. And uh, welcome once again to Weekend in Wyoming. On the phone, I have Don Marie Sanchez, the Youth and 4-H Coordinator for the University of Wyoming Extension Service. Do I have that title right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, first of all, for those who don't know, and I think most people do, but some probably don't, what is 4-H? Uh, 4-H is a um, youth program that is um, housed within the College of Ag at the University of Wyoming, and it's a program that's designed for youth 5 to 18 years old, um, and it allows them to um, choose a project that they get to explore, something they have an interest in, something that they want to learn more about, and then they work with volunteers over the course of the year um, to build their knowledge um, and skills around the project that they choose. Um, and meshed within that is that they also are involved in club activities, community service, um, leadership type programs, um, additional opportunities in terms of being involved in programming um, at the county level as well as state and national trips. So it's a well-rounded project that has lots of opportunities for most Indians. Sounds like a pretty broad program. You guys get into a lot of different areas then. Yeah, that is correct. We have um, over 45 projects that are actual projects that we have curriculum based around um, that ki kids can choose from. So, and if there's something in there that maybe we don't have a specific curriculum designed on is that youth can still take it under a project called self-determined and which means that they explore it on their own. So yeah, there's definitely an opportunity for any youth. So is this through the schools or is it extracurricular or how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it is an out-of-school time program um, that our office is actually housed um, on the Laramie County Community College in the Pathfinder building. And so it's a program that youth would engage in in their out-of-school time for the majority of the traditional program um, where they would um, choose a project, they'd enroll in a 4-H club, um, they would have a monthly meeting, um, usually six of those a year, where they would do social fun interactive type things with their club um, and then they would have project meetings where they learn about each of the projects that they choose to take. Um, the also the additional part of the 4-H program that many people are not aware of is that we also have a non-traditional track that is actually where we partner with um, community agencies and provide um, educational opportunities to youth and those could be housed within the school day in relationship to um, the school administrators or it could be an after-school program it could be um, just a youth agency that we would go in and be a guest um, educator at so um, within the French program there's really two facets okay so if I'm hearing you correctly and correct me if I'm not this does tend to have an agricultural emphasis am I right well, I think that's what everybody thinks about it. So yes, because that's the largest part of the program is the animal, the agriculture-based programming. However, um, there's definitely opportunities for everybody and anything. Um, and what I mean by that is within even our, our set projects that we offer to kids, there's everything from 
sewing, um, which is fabric fashion, where they can do modeling. Or there's robotics. There's a huge STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematic component. Um, we have a huge robotics program um, that is pretty competitive. Um, one of our largest programs is shooting sports. Um, where we offer youth the opportunity in, to engage in multi-disciplines, including archery, shotgun, rifle, 22, pistol, the gamut of it. Um, so truly, um, people believe it's agriculture-based, but there's definitely a wide range of projects that could um, in, interest any youth. So I think people think of this as being for farm and ranch kids, but strictly speaking, that's not necessarily the case then, right? That is exactly true. I think that's an overlying myth. That's because it started, 4-H started, you know, as the basis of an agriculture outreach program from universities across the nation is it's kind of um, gandered that that title, but it's definitely well-rounded and opportunities for everybody. By the way, if, if you know, or if, if it actually does stand for something, what do the 4-H's stand for? Does that stand for something specific? Yeah, it does, exactly. Um, the 4-H's, it, it represents a four-leaf four clover, and the 4-H's is head, um, because we believe in 4-H that youth um, have an opportunity to increase their knowledge, um, their thinking. Um, the second H is heart, um, or hands, sorry, hands, which means that they learn to do something with their hands. So we're hands-on program, um, where they would come and they would learn a skill. Um, the second one um, is heart and that is encompassing the community service aspect is that we believe that within the 4-H program that youth should learn um, to give back to their community and so we do encourage you to engage in community service activities and then the last one is health and and that really stands for the concept that we believe that if a youth has critical thinking skills that they learn to um, care about others and, and the environment community that they live in and then they have a skill that they can do with their hands and they would be healthy contributing citizens so that's what the 4-H is stand for head heart hands and health so how many kids are involved in 4-H here in Laramie County if you know yeah, we have over 300 kids in the traditional 4-H program, which is the club-based program um, that I was sharing where they take a project and engage in a, in a club. Um, beyond that is that we connect to probably over about 2,000 kids in the non-traditional program, and that's all encompassing to um, day programs, after school, school enrichment, um, nutrition programs, gardening programs, like it's a gamut of it. Now, of course, uh, school is out right now. We're in late July. Are there still 4-H programs going on right now? Yeah, like this is a super busy, busy time. Probably the busiest of the year for the majority of our 4-H kids um, that are based in projects where they're going to encompass it at the county fair. Um, the month of June was super busy and um, with our county and state contest um, and our uh, July was our early, um, was the shooting state and county shooting sports competitions and now we're embarking upon within starting next week um county fair and and county fair is not a requirement for the program at all and that's kind of another myth that's out there but we sure encourage kids to engage and and involve in that and that's kind of the opportunity for them to take what they have worked on all year and learned about and showcase it in a project um, and so they will bring their exhibits to the county fair um, and they are judged evaluated and um, awarded 
prizes in terms of um, what they've accomplished towards their goals or where they compare to other um, similar type projects. So we're just starting that off. Fair kicks off early on August 3rd and goes through the 14th. Um, and then it's followed by a week of state fair where kids will then advance on and move on to the state um, fair at Douglas. So yeah, so June, July, August are, are probably some of our busiest months. And we should mention we are pre-recording this, so for some folks hearing this, the fair may actually, in fact, all already be underway. So what are, what are some common exhibits that kids do for the fair? Yeah, um, the largest um, exhibits that we have in terms of numbers are obviously our livestock projects, um, and those are all-encompassing. Um, we have everything from... Um, small animal projects that kids can um, be involved in if they live in town, such as pocket pets, which can be everything from a lizard to a fish to a gerbil, um, you name it, and it can fall under the pocket pet thing. Um, rabbits, poultry, dogs, cats, um, those are kind of the smaller base projects. Um, and then some of the larger livestock projects are alpacas, goats, sheep, swine, horses, beef, um, and then beyond that is that there's the gamut of the exhibit hall um, projects and that's encompassing all those what we call static exhibits that kids bring in something that they have prepared for their judges. It might be a poster board or uh, something they've sewed or a baked good that they've cooked or things like that. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Don Marie Sanchez with the Laramie County 4-H program. Don Marie, why, why did you choose to get involved with this? Why do you think 4-H is important? Um, yeah, that's kind of a loaded question for myself just because um, my life probably as a young child was uh, very engaged in the 4-H program. Um, so I grew up in it with a family that was highly involved, um, actually grew up in a different county. but um, And then um, so I had the firsthand experience in terms of what I gandered and gained from the project was amazing as a youth and, and I'm super appreciative of that. And then um, I went on to, through college and had a graduate um, advisor that um, probably helped steer me in this direction as this is a career. So I have been a 4-H educator for a, a really long time since um, 1997. So um, I've had quite a few years in terms of, of having the opportunity to work with an amazing set of um, youth and volunteers, parents, community stakeholders. And I feel like that the 4-H program is one of those that has a niche and a place for every youth. And and that means that if a kid just wants to be involved for for a one-day event, that is great. We would love to have them come explore, whether it's a day camp or things like that. Um, and then there's opportunities for kids to engage in long-term and more um, involvement if they want to become involved in a, in a wider variety of activities. And so I think that um, it's a great opportunity for kids to um, have something to do in their spare time. Um, they get to learn and um, gain from volunteers that are willing to share their expertise and their time with them. Um, so I think that the life skills that they build and grow within 4-H is something that truly can help them as they grow into adulthood and enter um, the workforce and as citizens of our community. So this is obviously something you really believe in. This isn't just a job. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that you're exactly right with that. Um, Honestly, even our household family is involved in it. So, yeah, I would say the 4-H program is, is probably all-encompassing in our life. So, you are correct. 
Okay, again, I'm speaking with Don Marie Sanchez. We're talking about the Laramie County 4-H program. Um, for some kid who wants to get involved, what's what's the process? Do you just sign up and go to the meetings, or how does that work? Yeah, I would say um, probably the, the best number one step would be to give the extension office, the 4-H office, a call. Um, and then what we can do is we can walk them through the process. Um, it's very simple and easy to get signed up um, in 4-H is that it's an online registration program that we call Z-Suites. Um, and the youth go in there and they register and sign up for 4-H. And then we as extension staff can help match them up and um, to a club that maybe fits their interest or or what they have um, they want to gain knowledge in so then we can match them up with a club or um, an activity if they do want to do those one type activities um, and then um, we can get them enrolled like that and get them going i will tell you that right now that as i shared is that this is the kind of the time that we're super wrapping up the what has occurred and transpired over the course of the last year so over the course of august is that this is probably the culminating event for many kids and then we really kick off and start the new 4-h year october 1st um, and so I would truly, truly um, encourage kids to give us a call now and we can help them um, get it on their radar and get them signed up and get them going and get them kicked off the 1st of October. And by the way, the 4-H Extension Office phone number, if youth are interested, is 633-4383. Um, the other part I guess I would like to add to that um, is that we also are looking for volunteers. So it takes a wealth of volunteers that are willing um, to give their time and that can be a short one day or it can be more involved. Um, and so if there's individuals out there that would be willing to come and, and help and volunteer for the program, that would be great. We would love to have them as well. Are there any particular qualifications needed to be a volunteer? No, time. Time and willingness to work with kids, I would say, is the only qualification. But you don't need any special expertise or training or academic background? Not at all. I mean, volunteers is that, um, honestly, we need just simple volunteers that are willing to, um, we were just talking yesterday about that we need somebody to hand out sawdust tickets at the fair. And so we just need somebody to sit at a table and hand out take tickets and give sawdust to kids and it can be a simple job like that that we need to volunteer with or it can be more intense if they if they do have an expertise or a knowledge and they want to teach a project meeting for example around um uh photography for example if they have an expertise in that and they want to offer some photography workshops for kids then obviously we can utilize that skill set as well so it really is a matter of how much time that they want to contribute in and we can find a niche for them and then obviously if they do have that expertise or that knowledge in some particular area that they want to share and teach then that would be fabulous we can help them get them matched with kids don marie does it cost kids anything to take part in 4-h yeah, there is a small uh, $10 enrollment fee um, that is their enrollment fee for the year. However, we don't want that to be any financial hardship on any family. So if that's something that um, the youth would need the um, assistance of a scholarship, we definitely have scholarships um, for kids to get involved. So we don't want any kid to be excluded because of the financial requirements. Don Marie Sanchez with the 4-H program is my guest on this segment of Weekend in Wyoming. Obviously, we're talking about the Laramie County 4-H program. 
Uh, Don Marie, if, if, if there's a kid out there that's, you know, thinking maybe I want to do this, what, what would be a typical 4-H schedule for the school week? Do you go to a bunch of meetings? Do you work on your own? Uh, do you go to classes? How does that all work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so typically the kid that enrolls in the traditional 4-H um, program, we would match them up to a 4-H club. And um, 4-H clubs are, um, we have numerous of them within the county. And some of them meet um, out in the outlying areas, um, including Burns or Pine Bluffs out there. And then we have um, 4-H clubs that meet within the Cheyenne area. We have a 4-H club that is directly on the military base. Um, and that's one of our newer 4-H clubs. It's called Warren Warriors for kids that are military kids. And so um, we would match them up to a 4-H club. And then within the club, each club has their own maybe schedule that is set by parents and kids because the clubs are um, ran by the kids, by the youth in, in the club. And so they set a schedule and usually the clubs meet six times a year. That's what we require. And that's usually once a month. So some clubs may kick off in October and go once a month and be done in six months. Other clubs may start a little later in the fall um, and run into the spring area. And so usually they are involved in one meeting a month for at least six months. Um, and then usually each club does one community service project and the kids get to decide as a club what that might be and that might be cleaning up the highway or that might be um, picking up rocks or it might be making something for the nursing home or whatever the kids decide to do as their service project um, and then beyond that they have some project work depending on what they select as a project um, if they choose a project like shooting sports um, our shooting sports program is they can get as involved as they want and shooting sports like kicks off in March and they meet weekly for two months and the kids actually get to go in and, and shoot and, and learn how to be safe with firearms and then they can advance to county and competitions. So that's a pretty um, active project that they would choose. And um, if they chose a different project such as um, Oh, range management, for example, that might be something that would be more simplistic and that they would maybe just work on it at home and they can do self-taught on that project if they want. So it's really as involved as the kids want to be involved in the project-based work and depending on what project they choose to um, be involved in might depend on how much they have in terms of project meetings. So it doesn't sound like a kid needs to commit to 10 or 20 hours a week here. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it's not designed like that at all. It's designed to complement and, and be able to fit into schedules and so that kids still have the opportunity to engage in the other many, many activities that hopefully that they're involved in and have an interest in. Okay, I've been asking Don Marie Sanchez with the Laramie County 4-H programs questions or program questions here for the last 18 minutes. Uh, Don Marie, is there anything you would like to tell our listeners about 4-H that we haven't covered or anything you'd like to especially emphasize? Yeah, I guess I would encourage um, if kids are interested that aren't engaged or even um, community um, individuals, um, I guess I would like to invite them and, and to the Laramie County Fair is that this is a great opportunity to come and um, view it and showcase um, and be able to see what the kids have been working on and maybe that can help them um, gain their interest. Um, there'll be static exhibits on display, livestock projects going on. Um, and as I shared that that runs August 3rd through the 14th. Um, so I would definitely encourage um, them to get involved. Um, specifically, we even come out and eat ice cream. The 4-H Junior Leaders, which is our leadership club, um, is having a free ice cream social on um, Sunday. 
um, at four o'clock um, p.m., which is Sunday, August eighth, at in the Archer Event Center. So um, come eat ice cream and see the static exhibits. The livestock will be there. That's a great time to do. There's also a movie night on Thursday, August twelfth at seven o'clock. So those are two events that um, are being put on by our 4-H youth um, that anybody's involved and invited to so i think it's a great time to come see and support our kids and come learn about 4-h through the learning county fair and again for people who are just joining us i believe you mentioned and correct me if i'm wrong here that the uh the, the whole program starts again october 1st is that right yeah that is correct and so that would be a good time to, to sign up for 4-h then yes absolutely and if they are interested now they sure can give us a call now and we can get them put on the some general information we can give them and then get them put on a list that we can get back with them, you know, so that it doesn't maybe be forgotten come October. So we would love to hear from them now. Okay. I'd like to thank my guest on this segment of Weekend in Wyoming. I've been speaking with Don Marie Sanchez with the dot com slash joy for your free online visit. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash J-O-Y. Are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stone? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is, your reaction time slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. Today is Cheyenne's News and Talk Station, AM 650, KGAB, Orchard Valley, Cheyenne, a town square media station. So how are things? Family good? Yeah. Yeah, we're doing well. Hey, we missed you at the game last week. Is everything all right? I, uh, I just haven't been feeling like me. Lately. Okay. You know I'm here for you, right? And there's support too. That's a cut. Beautiful, fellas. Beautiful. Acting is one thing. Talking about suicide in real life is another. In the military, you take challenges head on. And now it's your turn to do the same for our veterans. Be there for someone you care about. Learn how you can start the conversation at BeThereForVeterans.com. Whether you're planting a tree or digging a foundation, contact One Call of Wyoming at 1-800-849-2476 or 811. Call two business days before you dig. It's free and required by law. Repairs to utilities can be expensive. Cutting a gas line or electrical line can be deadly. No matter if it's weekend yard work or major construction, call One Call of Wyoming at 1-800-849-2476 or 811. Sponsored by Public Service Commission, Wyoming Association of Broadcasters and this station. How long does it take to get to the forest? That's not far. What are we going to do? Hike? Sure. Are we there yet? Yep. It's a short drive from your neighborhood to your naturehood. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Forest Service. 
AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. I'd like to thank you for joining us once again for the Weekend in Wyoming program. As we wrap up another week, we'll do it again next week from Saturday or Saturday from 11 to 1 right here on Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. In case you missed it, uh, on today we had Tim Thornell, uh, CEO of Cheyenne Regional Medical Center. We talked a little bit about uh, COVID locally. We talked about uh, the impact of Cheyenne Frontier Days on the hospital hospital emergency room at uh, 11:33 we had Laura Hafner the principal of the Cheyenne Virtual School program that's uh, a program here in Laramie County School District 1 for virtual learning and uh, she talked about that at 12:05 we had Laramie County Sheriff candidate Patrick Long Patrick running as a Republican for Laramie County Sheriff uh, we discussed some of the local issues what he sees as the reasons to vote for him and for the uh, sheriff's race and uh, just crime in general. And then we just heard from the uh, Laramie County uh, 4-H program, Don Marie Sanchez talking about what they do and uh, some of their programs available locally. So thank you for joining us. If you missed any of those and you'd like to catch them, there will be, they will be posted on our Facebook page as part of a uh, podcast this upcoming week. I think Ben usually gets those posted about Tuesday or Wednesday, so if you'd like to hear those, those will be available for your uh, for your listening at your convenience. Have a great weekend. Be safe for the remainder of Cheyenne Frontier Days. Thank you for joining us. This is AM650 KGAB Cheyenne Orchard Valley. It's 1 o'clock. Have a safe weekend. We'll talk to you later. Overwhelmed at the border. I'm Joe Chiro, Fox News. Local officials along the border with Mexico say the migrant situation is getting worse. Fox's Rich Edson is in La Jolla, Texas. You're seeing about two to three thousand migrants a day crossing in the Rio Grande Valley sector. And those who are at least apprehended, sometimes it gets to be more than that. Border Patrol agents tell us that they're putting masks on immediately. They're making sure that the migrants have masks. Uh, and that's the way that they're trying to prevent COVID here also. Customs and Border Protection officials say if migrants are displaying COVID symptoms, they will take them to local health care providers. Though local police here say the federal government is still releasing some COVID-positive migrants into the community. The Justice Department is suing the state of Texas to prevent troopers from stopping migrants. The federal COVID eviction moratorium expires today as Democrats in Congress failed in a last-minute attempt yesterday to renew it. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren on the Senate floor today calling on colleagues to extend the moratorium. It is the right short-term action. It's how we keep families safely in their homes while states deliver emergency aid. It's how we keep families who are starting to recover from the worst economic crisis of their lifetimes get back on their feet. Over three and a half million Americans could be eligible for eviction once the moratorium ends. The Senate is in a rare weekend session in hopes of passing a trillion-dollar infrastructure bill before the August recess. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says the text of the bill still isn't done. Senator Schumer says he'll also try to push through a three and a half trillion dollar spending Democrat-backed human infrastructure package that includes mostly social programs. America is listening. Fox News. Get a 
all of your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. From Trey Gowdy, the Fox News Rundown, Will Kane, Brian Kilmeade, and so much more. Go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The Fox News Rundown. Start your day with a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. A daily morning podcast going far beyond the headlines. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Dana Perino, co-host of the 5 and America's Newsroom on Fox News Channel, returns to the world of audio with a new limited-time podcast, Everything Will Be Okay with Dana Perino. Building off the success of her best-selling book of the same name, Dana provides an unequaled brand of advice built on real-life experience and interviews experts and individuals that make a difference in the lives of others. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Calls continued by Republicans for the government to determine the origins of COVID-19 and whether Dr. Anthony Fauci may know more about it. Kentucky Congressman James Comer on Fox's Hannity. He should want to answer questions. Uh, every Republican, every American for that matter, wants to know what he knew and when he knew it. He has a right to tell us. He's worked for the government. He's been the face of COVID-19. He should want to come before Congress and answer every question that every credible member of Congress has. China is still not letting investigate from outside back into the Wuhan lab to investigate. Several bipartisan senators called on President Biden this week to pursue an investigation into the origins of COVID-19. A hiker is found dead in California's Death Valley in scorching hot temperatures. Helicopters spotted the body of 68-year-old Douglas Branham two miles from the nearest road. It's not clear how he died, but authorities believe he set out on a 12-mile hike when temperatures hit 118 and humidity was an oppressive 91%. Park rangers found his car in a parking lot in Badwater where he planned to start the trek. Rangers urging hikers to eat snacks, drink plenty of water, and to hike only before 10 a.m. to handle the heat. Chris DeMeo, Fox News. One of several back-to-school teacher discounts ends today, but there are still more ways to save. Fox's Jeff Manasso reports. Target's teacher prep event offering educators 15% off select classroom supplies runs out today. It's the fourth year Target's offered the discount, though with back-to-school savings still on. At other retailers nationwide, Staples offering a 20% teacher discount through September 30th, Dollar General a 30% discount, and Meyer a 15% teacher discount. Both through September 6th, Walmart also offering teachers and parents school supplies for under a buck. Jeff Manasso, Fox News. And I'm Joe Chiro, Fox News.